Let us pray. Lord Jesus, uh, we come to you this morning uh, broken and searching, and we pray uh, that this morning our hearts might be turned toward you, uh, that we might be able to receive your grace and your forgiveness in the way that you would um, minister to us and uh, not uh, on uh, our own terms. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, you know, Van Morrison was, I mean, does anybody really know what Van Morrison believes? Um, he's a, you could definitely say he's a spiritual guy, right? Um, he's written uh, several songs, and uh, Did, you, Did You Get Healed is one of those that, was, that really kind of uh, came out and even got explicit and talked about uh, the Holy Spirit. And um, he really wants to know um, how it is that, that God uh, is working uh, in your life. Tell me, tell me how it is uh, that God works in your life, and did ye uh, get healed? It's actually, um, I, I think that there's some sort of psychological game that he's playing because it's that song will get stuck in your head, right? And it, I think some games have ripped it off. It sounds like a little Atari game song, but anyway, but uh, it, it sticks in your mind. And uh, every time I, I hear that song, um, I want to scream. But uh, I also I think about a passage of scripture, which we're going to look at this morning from John chapter 5, and it's the healing at the pool of Bethesda on the Sabbath. And uh, for years and years, I, I just sort of glided right over this passage and thought, what a wonderful miracle. What a wonderful miracle. Here's a man who's been through a lot in life, and, and Jesus healed him. Praise the Lord. Moving on to the first discourse of the Gospel of John. But uh, it was during uh, a time in my life where uh, I believed in Jesus, I was definitely a Christian, and um, yet it didn't seem like God was moving very much in my life. And so my questions to my friends is, did you get healed? You know, how is, it wasn't so much, I want to share in your experience, but I want some hope that whatever is going on in your life, if God is, that that's, that's hope for me that God has not necessarily um, left the building that God is, is around. Um, and I read this passage um, in bed one night, and I, I realized uh, that, um, that I had some real hang-ups in life and that I was the man at the Pool of Bethesda. So let's read it. Uh, now there is in Jerusalem, by the Sheep Gate, a pool in Aramaic called Bethesda, which has five roofed colonnades. And these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, Do you want to be healed? The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. And while I am going, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, Get up, take up your bed, and walk. And at once the man was healed, and he took up his bed and walked. Now that day was the Sabbath. So the Jews said to the man who had been healed, It is the Sabbath, and it is not lawful for you to take up your bed. But he answered them, The man who healed me, that man said to me, Take up your bed and walk. They asked him, Who is the man who said to you, Take up your bed and walk? Now the man who had been healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn. So there was a great crowd in the place. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you are well. Sin no more that nothing worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him. Well, um, nice story, right? 
it's nice, it's pleasant. Um, uh, bad situation, uh, turn turn good. So I read this story as, a, as someone who was dealing with some issues at the time, and I think, okay, uh, where's my miracle? Where's, where's my pool at Bethesda moment? And then uh, I began to really think upon what was going on, and I realized, holy smokes, I'm this guy. Now, this pool, uh, you can go to it today. Um, it's really close to where Bathsheba took her bath. Um, and there's, of course, a church there because there's a ch- church everywhere. Um, anytime, you know, it's sort of like George Washington slept here. It's, you know, you'll go on the tour one day of the Holy Land and you'll say, this is where Jesus walked on the water. Everybody back on the bus. And then you go, this is where he multiplied loaves and fishes. Everybody back on the bus. You know, it's like snap, snap, and you go. And uh, so don't spend too much time in the churches. Don't spend too much time in the churches. Go to the place sort of bask in it, and they've excavated it. It's beautiful, it's lovely, it's right in Jerusalem. And there is a natural spring. And this spring, uh, like Old Faithful, would bubble up. And this is not too far-fetched. I mean, in our country, uh, all the great resorts were great because they had these mineral springs, right? And you can now they've had to change their sort of M.O., but you can still go to the Greenbrier or the Homestead or places like that uh, where you can... You know, they, these waters have medicinal properties. And that's right. That's right. Uh, Lauren uh, looked at me like I was 100 years old when she was stung by a bee at the beach. And, and I said, oh, you should soak your foot in an Epsom salt bath. And she's like, okay, Gramps, I'll get some Epsom salts. I'll get right on that. And, uh, and I said, well, it works. Um, and even today, uh, if you go to the Dead Sea, uh, you know, I had fallen a couple days before we went down to the Dead Sea last time, and I had a... A, a nasty little scab on my leg, and uh, we went swimming in the Dead Sea. And later that night, I looked down, and it was pretty much gone uh, from the. And you know, some of you ladies might have makeup, or um, you know, some of you men might have a lotion. You know, the, the Dead Sea sort of thing. And and they market the mud. They market the mud at the Dead Sea. Um, maybe you buy the mud. I don't. But uh, so it's not that far fetched to think, you know, this thing has healing powers. And probably what happened is somebody who had been stung by a bee or maybe had a little bit of arthritis went down into the water one day and they said, hey, that's that's pretty nice. Right. I'm feeling a little bit better now. And so that kind of it went from that to it has magical properties, A, but B, it's a one go thing. Whoever gets down there first, that's it. They sap the pool of all of its energy. So it had developed into a little bit of a superstition, but as the scriptures say, there are colonnades, and it's really lovely and beautiful, and it's a great place to hang out, and people did. You know, you'd sit there, and it's sort of like the little garden that we have next to the nave. It's a good place just to take your lunch and sit, and you have this lovely little pool, and it's a center of activity, and it's a great place to be, and it's cool, and... uh, So Jesus and uh, a number of other people there, but along with those people who are just talking and hanging out, are these blind, lame, and paralyzed. And amongst them is one man who had been an invalid for, anybody remember? 38 years. 38 years. That's a long time. 38 years. Now, normally, uh, if it's from birth, the scripture will say, it was from birth. So at one point in time, this man actually had somewhat of a healthy lifestyle. He went about his business doing his thing. Something happened to him. He was struck down as an invalid. And so for 38 years, what did this man do? 
every morning, he woke up, somehow, probably was helped. Um, the community was pretty good about this stuff. That, Like when um, uh, there are a couple times in the scripture where the disciples or Jesus is coming up to a, a beggar and it said that uh, the Greek actually says, and he was laid there, meaning somebody brought him along. But this just says this guy is here. And for 38 years, he woke up every morning, did what he needed to do to get ready, and he was either taken or somehow managed to get to the pool at Bethesda. And he sat there. And for 38 years, he watched some other guy make it down to the pool before him and thought, there's always tomorrow. There's always tomorrow. Now, after 38 years, mild discouragement, maybe, you know, just, just a little bit. And, um, you know, thinking, you know, as you put on your jacket and tie, uh, you know, and you, whatever it is, uh, you know, today is going to be my day. Today might just be my day. Sort of the Stuart Smalley. Isn't it so unfortunate, Stuart Smalley, because can you not think of Craig Smalley? <laughs> Craig Smiley? Anyway. Anyway, so uh, every day he thinks that, uh, and for 38 years he does this. And Jesus asks him a ridiculous question. He asks him, do you want to be healed? No. It's all right. Uh, I've got it under control. Uh, do you, it sounds rhetorical, doesn't it? But actually, Jesus is asking a very deep question. We hear it as, uh, does the man want to be fi- uh, does the man want to be healed of his invalidity? Is that a word? Inval- I guess it is. Um, he wants to be healed of what is ailing him. That's what we hear Jesus say. But what Jesus is really actually asking this man is, do you want to be healed? Do you know that when, if and when I heal you, that your life is totally going to change? Because all of a sudden, if Jesus heals him. What he knew as his life for 38 years will now be no more. So what does he do the morning after he's healed? What's his routine? What's he going to do? And there are a lot of people who pray to the Lord to be healed, and yet they really don't realize how much whatever it is that binds them defines them. That actually in the healing, that what it is that you want to get rid of in life may actually be what defines you. And to have it take it away, have it taken away is to take away your own identity. And so Jesus asked him, do you understand the implications of what it will mean if I heal you? If I deliver you from this, do you, do you know what that means? Um, when I was a student in England, um, we had to do these missions uh, every year, I, mean, I make it sound like it's terrible, but they were really great. And we went down to Plymouth, and I have a picture of me on the Pilgrim Steps, and it looks great. It's not frequented by the English very much, but um, you can go down there, and it's nice, and it's got a really neat sort of Pirates of the Caribbean theme. It does. It feels like you're in a sort of old Admiral Nelson Navy time period. And uh, the guy who led the mission was a guy named Michael Green, who I think has preached a Lenten series here, and Michael um, 
is really awful in that he'll say, God has called you to a great work in this mission. And so I have something that God has personally placed in my heart for you to do during this mission. And, uh, and then you end up in a bunny suit on a street corner handing out invitations to a meeting uh, that night to come and, and hear the preacher. But one of the things that we would do is we'd have these cottage meetings. And Michael said to me, Andrew, uh, I have this thing, uh, God has laid it on my heart, and you'd be perfect for it. There'll be about two dozen ladies, uh, all of whom are 65 and older, and that's kind of your demographic, and um, you know they, they will just love you. They'll just love you. And you just go and you answer their questions. Uh, and so I went, and we had, a, you know, they brought out the china, and it was very nice, and everybody looked very nice, and we were having such a nice conversation, and we literally sat down to sort of the Q&A part, and I sat down, and right out of the gate, the youngest one in the group, who was about 65 years old, uh, said, Andrew, um, I'm dating somebody. Good, I said. Good for you. That, that's lovely. And she says, well, uh, I don't want to marry him, but we are going to move in with one another. And she just stopped what she was saying. And I thought, and everybody else was sort of nodding their head yes, and I thought, oh, my gosh, what have I stumbled into? You know, this is, I mean, what are you all up to in Plymouth? But... Um, but the lady a bit began to elaborate on, on what she meant by that. And she said, you know, I, um, I've been a widow for five years, and I've never gotten over my husband's death, and I pray daily that I would. And yet every day um, I still iron his clothes. Every night before I go to bed, I iron his shirt for work. Now, my first thought was, poor guy that she's dating, you know, how's he going to deal with this? But, um, but I was taken back by the fact that that, like she didn't have an identity a- apart from her husband, which is a good, I mean, it's a good thing to be married. It's a good thing to have a husband. It's a good thing to love one another. But it had clearly become the center of her life. And apart from him, she had no idea what to even do. And so she kept her routine the same. And yet there was a great part of her that cried out, deliver me. Deliver me from this. And yet, if you do, I don't know what life is going to be like. It's like St. Augustine when he said, Lord, make me chaste, but not yet. He did say that. And there are so many of us in our lives, and it might actually be something... um, On the negative, it might be like this man who has a a terrible disease or ailment, or uh, you might be taking care of somebody uh, who um, is struggling. Um, But the question is, do you want to be healed? And all of a sudden, that question is a lot deeper than you ever thought it was. Because Jesus doesn't sort of say, I'm going to heal this part of your life, but I'm going to leave the rest of it untouched. When Jesus gets a hold of your life, he gets a hold of all of it. And there are times uh, where, um, sort of like Charlton Heston, God has to come into our lives and pry our cold, dead fingers uh, off of whatever it is that we're holding on to in order to make it happen. Now, the man um, doesn't really answer the question. He just says, sir... I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up, and while I am going, another steps down before me. So the answer to this man's predicament is what? I need someone to help me down into the water. Now, um, as I mentioned, is this an isolated place? 
Um, is this, uh, well, for, well, let's just say it what it is. There are lots of sick people around, and he's not the only one that can't walk. He's just an invalid, but we've got people who are paralyzed, and yet somebody else is making it down to the water, which means what? Somebody's helping other people make it down into the water. Surely, if this guy had to have friends who, who helped him to the place, you know, you'd think he'd say, hey, look, can you just take the day off? You know, do you have a personal day that you can take? And when the water bubbles up, you might even make it back by lunch. I don't know when it's going to happen, but, but just, just help me down in the water. Just help me. And if not that, all these people around who knew the guy, right? There's old Joe. 38 years. And not once has this man asked for help. Not once. And here, what does he ask for Jesus to do? He doesn't really ask Jesus to do anything except to say, look, you know, what? If I, if I just had somebody to, to place me down into the water, I'd be all right. I'd be all right. Uh, but Jesus says, uh, get up, take up your bed, and walk. And at once the man was healed, and he took up his bed and walked. Uh, I am one of those people that can never, ever ask for help And even now, the man knows that he has a deep-seated need, which is to be cured of being an invalid. He knows that he needs help, and yet Jesus doesn't do what? He doesn't help him in the water. He simply says with the word, get up, take up your mat, and walk. And instantly the man was healed, and he got up and took his bed and walked. Well, um, two things. If clearly this guy has a pride issue, right? He's not asked anybody for help. And so if Jesus had said, "Old oh, Joe, today is your day. I don't know if you noticed, but I'm here. I got 12 strapping young lads from the north of Galilee, corn-fed fishermen. We're going to get you right on down to that water. I mean, lickety split. We got Peter. He's about to slice off some poor guy's ear for attacking me. And so he'll run, you know, he'll make sure nobody else gets in. Um, it's going to be great. And, um, but Jesus uh, doesn't do that. If he did, if he did, he, his testimony would be what? One day I was sitting at the pool. And, uh, and I'd waited for 38 years, and my patience paid off, because one day a man helped me down into the water, and I finally slid myself down into the water, and, um, and I was healed. And yet, Jesus does what? Healed. Right? Deep. Done. Done. Who gets all the credit? Jesus. The man didn't do a thing. In fact, he's sort of in the middle of, let let me tell you about the trouble I've seen, Jesus. Let me tell you what I've been struggling with with for 38 years. And um, Jesus says, you know what? I'm going to heal you, uh, but I'm going to heal you in such a way that you won't be able to get any foothold in it and be able to claim any credit for how you've been healed. It's going to be total rescue. Now, the second thing, though, is that uh, the way Jesus chooses to heal him. Jesus could have easily have helped him down into the water. And in this man's mind, the only way that he's going to get healed is to be placed in the water. All right, this, is, this is the ticket. This is what's going to heal me. If I can just get down in the water, I'm going to be great. We're gonna be, it'll be 
totally want, it, great. So, uh, but what Jesus does is he simply heals him with a word. I don't know how many times, and numerous, and praise the Lord that he is patient, uh, that I have prayed that God would work in my life in a specific way. God, that you would do this in my life in this way. Right? When God actually says, you do understand, like, I can actually accomplish things through other means. <laughs> right? I don't need your instruction. And um, a good illustration of this is if you are, you have a brand new uh, boat and you're out on the lake and you're zipping along and you see a rock on the top at, poking up out of the water three feet uh, and you know that running into it is inevitable, uh, my heart's inclination would be to cry out, Lord, remove the rock. Poof, you know, Lord, remove the rock. Uh, but what if God wants to raise the level of the lake three and a half feet? And more often than not, that's what he does. Uh, that's that's how, how God operates, that he doesn't... Um, he does things uh, in his own way and in his own time. Now, um, the response of this man in his healing, which was counterintuitive, uh, totally rocked his world, and yet clearly uh, something in his heart changed because where is he found? Anybody remember? I know y'all do. He's at the temple, right? He's at the temple. And, and what do you what do you do up at the temple? Bueller, you pray. thank you, David. Yes, you pray and you worship. You pray and you worship. And you know when you go up to the temple, you wouldn't do just sacrifices for sin, but you would have thanksgiver thanksgivings. Yes, hello. I feel like George Bush's spirit is inhabiting my body <laughs> this morning. I'm the decider. Um, you have you have grain offerings for Thanksgiving and and you know for a birth of a child you'd go up and you'd you'd so it wasn't just for atonement um, but it was also in Thanksgiving that you would go up and do sacrifices and that is where the man has gone and so his response to God's great work in his life is to go and praise Him to worship Him and um, that. Um, I think says uh, a lot because a lot of people, um, you know, Jesus didn't stick around and say, okay, now you have a new lease on life. How are you going to spend it? Now that you've been given a second chance, don't blow it. Right? Jesus, what does Jesus say? Nothing. No, he just says, get up, take up your bed, and walk. And then, like a thief in the night, he's gone. He's just gone. Now, later on, Jesus does say to him, see, you are well. Sin no more that nothing worse may happen to you. And um, I, uh, this uh, little phrase uh, might be troubling uh, to some of us, but I think what Jesus is saying is that um, in spite of your healing, all is not going to be well. Right? You're still going to struggle in life. And I find that in my life when I have a real pressing need or an issue or if I'm struggling with something, which typically is the case, I say, I think, even though I don't really believe it, I do believe it. I think, you know what? If I was not like this, then I'd be pretty great. Right? God, if, if you would just heal me of this one 
um, personality quirk, then, you know, I, I think I'd be pretty wonderful. Um, but, uh, but you know what? I mean, if, if God actually does that in your life, uh, it's, you know, that one thing is removed from the parking spot, but there's always another car waiting to pull in. There's always something else waiting to pull into that spot and to say, I'm here, right? Uh, just to show us uh, that there is a perpetual need for Jesus, not sort of a, a one-off thing. Um, and the thing is, is he's always there. He's always ready to hear uh, and, and to answer uh, those prayers um, that we are uh, struggling with. Now, the thing about this, though, that I also find convicting later on. So in the moment when I was struggling with that issue, I realized the very thing that I am asking God to remove from me, um, my life, uh, I've allowed it to define me. And I keep praying for healing, but I've really not grappled with the implications of what it will mean to be healed. What will I do tomorrow morning if everything is made right? Who will I be? What will I do? What will I talk about? Right? Um, but then later on, uh, I, I read this, and, uh, and I see, um, uh, I see the own, my own hypocrisy. Because uh, the man went away and told the Jews uh, what it was that it was Jesus who had healed you. Now, why were they so interested in finding out uh, who healed the man? Because uh, this man said, take up your bed and walk. Now, the man who had been healed did not know who it was, but it was the Sabbath. It's the Sabbath day, which means that uh, from sundown Friday, uh, there's a little song that's running through my head um, that I can't sing here. But anyway, uh, sundown on Friday um, until uh, sundown on Saturday, you have the Jewish Sabbath. And back in the day, you had, uh, and still today actually, there's a group that decides all these sort of little laws because the question is, okay, God said, remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. What does that mean? What does that mean? Well, it means you can't work. Okay, I understand that it means you can't work, but can you, um, can you buy groceries? No, you can't buy groceries. Okay, well, I can't buy, can I cook? Well, no. Well, then can I serve leftovers? Can I open the refrigerator? Well, it uh, might be all right. Uh, and... Um, and it's still true today. Um, you know, I um, have my mother's uh, husband is Jewish, and he would talk about paying, they would pay a Gentile kid in the neighborhood to come switch the light switches on and off on the Sabbath. And today, if you go to Israel on the Sabbath uh, and you're in a hotel, uh, it's okay to ride the elevator on the Sabbath, but you can't push the buttons, and so there's an elevator that will stop at every single floor, and that's the Sabbath elevator. So we're getting into some pretty tedious, right? But, but if your whole life, if your whole life is all about my standing with God is contingent upon the way that I behave, right, is contingent upon uh, keeping the commandments and the rules, um, then you welcome these rules. Just tell me what I have to do. Right, the, the man by the thing. Look, I, I'm pretty sure I know what to do to get in. I just need someone to help me follow the rules. I need someone to help me follow the rules. And uh, these guys who were so upset with this man for taking up his sleeping bag, for taking up his sleeping bag. Now, that's not really, well, the next, uh, down at the, in verse 18 says, the guy taking up the sleeping bag, this was why Jews were seeking all the more to kill him. 
Don't pick up your sleeping bag. Uh, Because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. What they were upset about was not just the breaking of the Sabbath, but Jesus was turning their notion of how God worked and who God was on its ear. God works through rules. He works through the covenant made at Sinai. Right? He doesn't, you know, this, this idea of, they would have said, yes, God is gracious and God is merciful, but he's merciful and gracious to who? The righteous. Right? Those who have got their acts together. That's who God is merciful and gracious to. And so when Jesus says, Sabbath, who cares? Get up, take your mat, and walk. Right? Jesus is actually meeting people where they are and is picking people over these man-made rules and laws. Now, we all do it, right? It's, it's easy for us to laugh about the elevator thing, but there are all these little things that we create in our own lives that we think um, this is what it means to be Christian, right? Um, and as long as I do the following things, um, then, then people will think that I'm Christian enough. Now, unfortunately, uh, I learned, I got the gospel sunk in at a young age, which was it's not, it's not been good for Lauren because I am definitely under grace and not under the law. So when the preschool says, look, we really need you to chip in and sign, I mean, they'll write to my face, we really need you to chip in and sign up for the pumpkin patch. I'll say, no, thank you. And I don't feel bad. I just don't, right? And Lauren's like, oh, and she goes, it's because he's a Christian, you know? Um, <laughs> all right. It sounds so counterintuitive. And yet, um, uh, I mean, the notion is counterintuitive. The notion is crazy. And yet, um, God bless Mount Brook Baptist. But um, <laughs> the, the whole concept of what it means to be a person of faith is being turned on its ear here. And the bottom line is that we all try to put God into a box. We all try to make God uh, something that we can control and hold. And unintentionally, most of the time, uh, we tell God, even how we ought to operate uh, in our lives. And we pray prayers that we may not even mean because we've actually not thought about um, how God might heal us, uh, how God might operate through us. Um, my roommate in college uh, wanted to go into the uh, Marine Corps and, um, and he was engaged at the time. And his fiance was beside herself over this. And, and I said, you know, I... I know you're probably worried that he's going to be put in harm's way. And she goes, actually, that's not what I'm worried about. I'm worried about when he goes off to whatever Marine Corps depot he goes off to, that he's going to come back a different person. And she was right. <laughs> right? You are going to come back a different person. Well, even more so that uh, when you, your life is handed over to Jesus Christ, you are going to come back different. Uh, you are going to come back different. Even if you say, you know, I'm really not that different from the same old Joe, um, it's clear that you're going to come back different and God is going to work in your life in ways that you had never even thought possible or imagined. And I'll just say one last word about, um, uh, about what happens when you just spend the rest of your life by the pool uh, at Bethesda. Um, you know, I, I read the, the miracle and I say, you know, that wouldn't that be nice? Um, and um, what happened, you know, what about the other guys lying around the pool? What about them? What is it about this man that um, earned God's favor? 
Well, hopefully you've been listening to me. This guy did nothing uh, to earn God's favor. If anything, um, uh, God should have taken displeasure in his posturing and his position and his disposition. But um, but God uh, is merciful. And um, trusting um, in in the situation that I dealt with, um, that what I realized is that that God had given me a thorn in the flesh, and Paul talks about that. Remember, Paul cried out multiple times that God would remove that thorn from his side, and God never did it. And Paul reflected on that, and he said that that was because uh, God's uh, power is made perfect in his weakness. Because Paul thought like I did. You know, if I just got this thorn out of my side, I would be rocking. right? I, I mean, there would be no stopping me. And yet, um, to hand Paul over to that would be what? A bad idea. To hand Andrew over to that would be a bad idea. And that's not saying when life gives you lemons, make lemonade. That's not what it is. Uh, But when life gives you lemons, uh, you throw yourself wholly over to the mercy of God. Right? And um, one of the great signs of this uh, that I, I hold on to is... When, um, whenever we see a rainbow, uh, the kids and I talk about this, uh, is, um, you know, a lot of people think a lot of things about the rainbow, but it's a much more powerful image than people think. Noah's Ark is not a good children's story. Once there was a man named Noah who was upright and righteous in the sight of the Lord. Noah said it was going to rain and everybody on the earth would die of drowning, right? Um, there are some wonderful French engravings of Noah's Ark and the flood, and the worst one that I've ever seen that hangs up in the girls' room over their beds. Just kidding, it doesn't. Um, but is a mother clutching her child as the waves are sort of crashing, and she's holding on to the cleft of a rock, and perched on top of the rock is a lion looking down at them hungrily. And I thought, this is not for VBS, <laughs> right? But it, there's some horror to that, and it's terrible. And, uh, and yet God delivers uh, Noah and his family, and um, at the end he puts what in the sky to remind, uh, remind Noah of the covenant that he would never flood the earth again? Rainbow. rainbow, right? Which is nice, right? A rainbow is really nice. And yet the image that God, Noah's day, they would have mistaken it. They knew exactly what God was doing because a rainbow was in the shape of what? A bow and arrow. And so in the judgment of the flood, the arrow was aimed at who? Us. And now that the rainbow has been placed in the sky, it's a reminder that the arrow is pulled back and now aimed at who? God himself. That God himself would take upon our pain and our suffering. And so when we're in the midst of that um, and we see the rainbow, uh, that um, the battle bow is pointed at God and he's taken upon our suffering, and that there will come a day when God will come and he will restore all things and set them to rights. And it may not make sense now, but on the other side of Jordan, uh, all things will be made sense, made plain, and, uh, and God will set all things to right. And we will then have 2020 hindsight. Where we'll be able to look back and see uh, God's hand in those things that we even struggle with, and we will say that God's grace is sufficient for me. And so uh, we look at John chapter 5 and this knucklehead at the pool, um, and uh, we look at the knucklehead Pharisees, and I think there's a little bit of uh, everything, uh, a little bit for all of us uh, in this little passage, which I so often uh, go over. And so um, uh, if you're a Christian, uh, the answer, the question, uh, did you get healed, uh, 
The answer is yes, and yet um, praise God that he doesn't stop, uh, that he continues uh, to work on us, and that um, I might take that uh, question seriously and lay my life before him and really (coughs) grapple uh, with what it means to give my life wholly over to him. Questions, comments, concerns? So chatty, so chatty. Okay, well, you can always uh, submit them uh, by email. Don't call me. Just email me. All right, well, let's pray. Uh, Lord Jesus, uh, we thank you that you are always uh, more ready to hear uh, than we are to pray. And so, Lord, we pray for those of us who have wallowed next to the pool for 38 years, um, that you would um, bring our hearts to a place that uh, we might be healed. And, Lord, uh We're not ready sometimes for the way that you might heal us, but Lord, we thank you that you thwart um, our ideas about how you ought to operate and what you ought to do. Uh, But Lord, we thank you that you are in control. And Lord, those of us who struggle in life uh, where there doesn't seem to be much of a light at the end of the tunnel, uh, Lord, we pray that you, we would hold on uh, to your unchanging hand and that we would rest safe in your strong grip. In Jesus' name, amen.